Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Girl Powerful Podcast. We're two sisters on a mission to entertain and educate by learning from women who live a purpose-driven life. Be sure to subscribe and rate our podcast. On today's episode, we talk to Luciana Falhaber, who is a first-generation Latinx American actress, activist, and filmmaker. Her storytelling sheds light on vulnerable people. And she uses her platform to discuss issues of equal pay, immigration, and overcoming hardship. We are delighted today to have Luciana Falhaver. She's an actress, she's an activist, and she is just a beautiful human being. So we're excited to have you on. Yeah, and anyone listening to this, you're about to learn a lot. Because we spent like 20 minutes with Luciana with our girls at Girl Powerful. And everyone was just in awe of you and how you speak in just bring depth to everybody. Like you really inspire us and the girls and you're just a beautiful human. So thank you for spending time with us. Thank you both. Like you guys inspire me. So I'm happy that we can have this girl power talk whenever we can do it. So happy to be here. Thank you. So let's jump right in. We work with girls and we started working with girls at age eight to 12 to build self-esteem, to make positive decisions for themselves and to really learn how to regulate and manage their emotions. So we know you grew up in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Tell us a little bit about who Luciana was around 12 years old. What were you like? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I was a very shy child. Um, I was the youngest of four. Uh, my brothers were are considerably older. So I grew up really close to my sister who is still four years older than me. So um, it was a strange age because she was like the cool kid, you know, and she was getting into her uh, uh, teenage years. And because I had an older sister, I'm sure you guys can relate. um, You end up growing a little bit faster because you're hanging out with your big sister and you think she's so beautiful and so cool and you want to be like her. And so I had an exposure to music and art and other things that I think I wouldn't have had if she uh, wasn't older than me, if I hadn't had an older sister. But at the same time, because I had the sister who was also, I thought, like the most beautiful girl I've ever seen and so smart, I always felt like the shy, you know, young, small child in the background. Um, And I was raised by a single mother, so my mother was working a lot, and it was just the two of us a lot of the time. Um, So there was always this longing to be part of this cool 
girl group that my sister was, in my mind, part of growing up. So I spent a lot of my time trying to learn what it was like, you know, in the arts and the culture and the things that, that I, quote unquote, were cool at the time. And a lot of time reading and writing and in my own, lost in my own little world of, of, of play because I didn't have someone that was my age to play with me. So I was, I was this child that was torn between literature and music and art and wanted to be part of this cool girl group that I saw, um, you know, growing up. So it was, it was interesting. And I think a lot of that has informed who I am today. Uh, Brazil is also very patriarchal and still very sexist. And that was really the case too, back in the day. Um, I think that I was lucky enough to be raised by a single mother who had to be um, very empowered and empowering and always telling us, you got to do whatever you want and you need to be independent and you need to have a good degree and a good education and earn your own keep so you never depend on anyone else. And I grew up hearing that um, being said to me and being said to my sister and I always joke with my mom and I say that you raised us to be too independent because both my sister and I now are like, we don't put up with anything. Yeah. We will not, you know, it's like, it's right or it's not and you're going to keep moving forward. And I think in an age now that we want to build our own family is there's like an interesting dichotomy between um, how can you be independent and at the same time build a partnership? And um, that's, that's where we find ourselves these days. But um, whoever meets me now always jokes like, oh, you're not shy. You're like the least shy person I know. But in my private life, mm -hmm. I'm still very shy and I'm still very reserved. Um, but working in entertainment, you know, I do have this out, outside bubbly personality that allows me to share of my experience with everyone. So, I mean, that... Whatever, all everything you said is very parallel to how Sonia and I grew up. Mm -hmm. Sonia is like the you, I think, like always thinking <laughs> with my friend group. Yeah. We had a single mom. And then even what you're saying about the now, like looking for a male partner is difficult when you have grown up so strong and you don't need them, but you need, you want that, right? You, it's like, it's a want and a need yeah. in the same time and just to make a family, right? Mm -hmm. yeah it would, feel, it would feel good yeah and I think it's a beautiful place to be you know and not needing someone and the amount of freedom that that gives to any person in your own personal relationships of having that true partnership but it's unfortunate that we all come from something and I think that finding this true partnership it becomes harder and harder uh, because we're all trying to find something that feels safe and in searching for that, um, I can't speak for our male partners, but I've encountered a lot of them who are looking for something that might not be so partner-like, but more dependent-like, which is not where we're coming from. Um, so yeah, it takes a consistent awareness. And sometimes we get lost in that because you, you, might, you might love someone so much and they might be such great people and you want them in your life and you find yourself... Uh, making concessions and trying to understand them, but at the same time losing track of who you are and what you want. Um, so there's definitely that that game of uh, self-discovery that I think needs to happen throughout life. Totally, and knowing your worth yeah. and not settling, you know. Exactly. Standards. I really resonated with how you were talking about your duality. So mm. you were you'd go inward to like to create or to write. And, but then you have this alter ego, right? Because you're on the screen, you're in front of people. You have to audition. You have to have that confidence to really put yourself out there. So when did you decide, like, I want to be an actor? I want to, like, express myself 
inwardly, but then also showcase it to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I always knew growing up and I told, I told my mom like, oh, I want to be an actress. And she would say, pick something that's real. <laughs> We're not rich. You yeah. know, arts are for the rich. Pick something that you can support yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, then I want to be a writer. She's like, no. It's not a job. <laughs> and she would go down the list of like doctor, lawyer, teacher, you know, and, and I ended up, it was so funny. And I ended up psychologist. And so I ended up in my childhood looking for in my brain what my mother would consider a real career uh, to fulfill her need. But again, like I understand where she comes from. She was an orphan. She never had an opportunity to go to school. She used to teach um, elementary school and preschool to afford her own uh, high school education. So I understood for her that in her mind, education was a thing that would change our lives and would put us in a different social economical uh, class. And it really did. You know, I came to America because I turned out to be really good at school. You know, I was just a curious child. And even in class, sometimes I don't recommend the kids. I would be uh, reading the textbook while the teacher was teaching. And sometimes I'd be chapters ahead. But it was just like curiosity of like, oh, what is this? I'm, I'm interested. And I ended up doing a degree in biology just because I genuinely was curious about the world around me and my own body. And um and it just propelled me towards that, um, that career. But at the end of the day, I found myself again, that wasn't what fulfilled me. It wasn't what made me happy. And I, as an actress, as much as, as a creator, as a storyteller, I really enjoy people and I really enjoy learning their stories. Um, and I find myself a lot listening to um, people's quote unquote life stories when I first meet them mm-hmm. um, because I'm genuinely curious and I ended up falling in love with people's stories. And that's also a dangerous place because stories are not necessarily the truth. Yeah. Um, there are things that <laughs> they've told themselves yeah. or how they rearranged their, their experience to survive it mm-hmm. um, or um, to find pride in it or whatever their needs are for their own uh, life journey. So I find myself really fascinated with stories. And um, as an actress, you have this opportunity of telling someone else's story um, and being part of that journey. So I always had that part of me that was a performer. You know, I used to dance in my living room with the the music loud. I used to like sing karaoke with my mom and my sister in the living room. Um, And then I did commercials as a child, but it was always as a reward. My mom would always say, if your grades are good, then you can go to this commercial. If your grades are good, then you can go to acting class. Um, and it became, it became a reward, you know, and I think um, it made me really see it as, as more special than more of a career. Um, and she was to say to me, when you graduate college, you can do whatever you want and you can be free. So that's exactly what I did. And you don't realize how much you internalize these things um, as a young woman. And the moment that I graduated college and I was no longer in the dance team and the drama club and, you know, doing that, my plays in college, I was like, I'm not happy and what has changed and what had changed was now I just go to work and I go to grad school at night and I'm not doing the art thing anymore. And I just felt like my soul was slowly dwindling like a flower. Mm -hmm. And I went back to acting school and within six months, um, I had quit everything. I quit my job. I was married at the time. I, you know, left the relationship. Um, I moved, I, my life had a 180 in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, and it's funny because I remember my teacher at the time was um, Bill Esper, who no longer was with us, but he was the last surviving student of Meisner. 
So he used to teach with Meisner when Meisner got sick and he was like the holder of the Meisner technique as was meant to be taught. Um, and I don't know what that is. What's that? What's the Meisner technique? So there's different lines of study for acting. You know, there's Tata Adler and there's Stensnapsky and they all have this idea of what it's like to develop the best acting craft. Okay. Um, some of them believe that you take from your own experiences and you find um, your darkness or you find your happiness or you find that that makes you tick and you put that onto the work and that's how you find reality to what you're doing. But for the Meisner technique, uh, for us, for us who believe or, or who study that and, and work in that line of, of, of belief is that you take it from your imagination. So when I was a young child and I was alone, I spent hours and hours dreaming a different life, you know, dreaming of places to go, reading books. And that's why I still prefer to read books than watch movies, you know, even though I'm in this business, because it allows you to build a world that is completely out of your imagination instead of having something that they're telling you that it's supposed to be like. Um, and that's the miser technique. Instead of taking from the saddest experience of your life, you imagine if you were that character and your, you know, your puppy died in that moment, how would you feel if that happened to you versus taking from something that really happened in your life and exploring that in a way that I would say psychologically, you might not be equipped to come out of. Yeah. Um, that sounds like you're reliving trauma over and over again. And maybe that's exactly. why some actors are totally fun. insane. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of actors really do go insane. And it's like, you, it works, you know, sure. You, if you still have those wounds that are open and accessible to you, um, it works. But it's like you're saying, you're reliving that trauma and it's not healthy. And at the end of the day, if you don't have the right mental health uh, person uh, in your life, like a psychologist, I don't know, you might not be able to shut that down. And then you're living in a space that is not, you know, mentally healthy. So I don't do that and I don't recommend it. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of actors do m like a mix. They take some imagination work and they take some real life work. Uh, sometimes the, the, the script is so close to your life that you really can't separate, you know, it really comes naturally and you find yourself reliving that experience that you had uh, when it happened. And that's normal too. Um, I have a psychologist I love, like I work with her a lot. I meditate every day. Like I try to keep myself in check, um, and tools to manage my emotions when I find that they're bubbling in a way that is unmanageable. Um, and I think everybody goes through that. Um, I've been in places too, where I couldn't, where something triggered me and I just reacted to the moment and I wasn't able to step back and think, wait a minute, what was the behavior that really upset me and what feelings are coming up for me and what is that I need to address in this moment. But you know, we're human at some point we just have that feeling and it comes up and you're just upset and you, you know, and, and you, you might end up hurting people that you love. So I try not to, uh, in my work, um, go down that path because it does open doors that you might not be able to close later. So the miser technique is a technique that allows you to live in the imagination. And at the end of the day, you find something that makes you happy or, you know, whatever you need to come out of that creative experience. So I did a play back, you know, 10 years ago now that was super heavy and I cried on stage for an hour and a half every day. And at the end of the day, I was physically exhausted and my face was all puffy, but it was also like, okay, now I have to go home and I don't want to carry this life with me because it's not my life. So I would either watch cartoons before I went to bed or I would spend hours watching puppy videos on Instagram, which I still love. Um, you know, yay for the internet to give us all those 
cute little puppy and cat videos. That actually um, happened to me, not acting related, but I it came out of nowhere. What? And I was on jury duty. Oh, yeah. And they, the judge asked me, have you ever, like, had a crime committed against you? And I had. And all this all this feeling and the, like the fear from that day came back and I couldn't even breathe. I had a panic attack in the courthouse. <laughs> wow. <laughs> literally like I didn't even know how I was going to get home. I was just like crying. But yeah, it's interesting if you don't deal with your traumas, like they'll come back in like the strangest ways. Cause I was yeah. all that fear inside my body. And how did you handle that? How did you uh, process that fear? It was, it took like a couple of weeks. It was like it was really scary. scary. As like her yeah. sister watching it. I remember being like in the Ralph's parking lot and yeah. I was like, Oh no, my sister, this is really bad. Like I had no idea yeah. what was going on. Yeah. And, and I it's just because did I either. didn't process it. And I think it was because mm-hmm. I was a young girl. I was twenty two and my friend group got attacked by a group of men in a car. Like with baseball bats. And like, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to be raped. I thought Mm -hmm. all of these things were going to happen to us. And I, I literally just like shoved it in the back of my brain after it happened, Mm -hmm. you know, filed the police report, graduated college and went to California. And that was the last I really thought about it. Well, I think that that's what's going on. Like in the world now, like communication is much more open or at least in like Mm -hmm. the kinds of groups we all hang out in and Mm -hmm. in college what 15 years ago you weren't really allowed to share your feelings no one was asking you how you felt or if you processed that or the school wasn't like go to therapy like you had no one looking out for you and I mean obviously you can't point fingers and be like they didn't help me yeah but that's why it's so important to be in tune with yourself and do meditation and practice self-care and self-love and find out what formula makes you healthy, right? And makes you like live in the present moment. The past is a story like you're talking about. And actually that's what I wanted to ask you. Like everyone's so obsessed with their story and telling their story over and over. And like, as a brand, like we always have to say kind of like you, like we grew up with a single mom, but it's like, our mom's our best friend. We love her. We honor her. She's worthy all these things like when can you like detach yourself from some old story that doesn't serve you anymore like that's That's really that's really important you know um it's what they say um it's it's a dichotomy right if you don't deal with where you come from or the things that it really touch you in positive or negative ways it will come back Mm -hmm. that which you avoid will always be there. You can run away, you can move, you know, that that's going to be there and it will come up in your relationships. But for me and my experience with my story has been funny because my mother was, you know, I think that has to do also with like a Latino background. When you come from Latin America, there's this idea of you don't ask people for favors. You don't tell them your needs. You don't tell them that you're going through a difficult time and you never, you never ask for a handout. So I grew up with that instilled in me. So when I moved to America and I had nobody here and I was going through difficult situations, I still have that in the back of my head. Like, oh, I can't ask for help because we don't ask for help. You know, we don't ask for people to do things for us. It's not, it's not how we were raised. And it wasn't until I became an actor and I I became an artist where I found no other way. Like if, and I you know I have a, a friend who is in marketing and he's a, you know, a white male and I was going through this conversation with him and he said to me, he's like, Luciana, if you don't ask, you don't get. Mm-hmm. And even if you get, 
most of the time, even if you do ask, most of the time you don't get. So right. who cares? Why are you asking? Yeah. And I needed to hear that. And I was like, oh, he's so right. So why not? What's the point? And I understand that came from my upbringing. Now, because of that, I have always been very private about my story. I have always been um, not telling people for a long time that I was raised by a single mother, that we had a very difficult upbringing financially. You know, at some point we didn't have food. We almost lost our home. Um, it, you know, it was, it was a difficult time, but I never shared that because I never wanted that pity party. Oh, poor little Luciana. Look at her. She had such a tough upbringing, which I see it's the story of a lot of people that I encounter in my life. Sure. You know, I hid that story from uh, the people around me and um, and my own personal story just to continue to be confronted with people that have that same story because all relationships are reflections, right? And now I see that I didn't share that and I didn't deal with it. But at the same time, I continue to encounter people who feel that way and use that story to either get ahead, to get sympathy, to get whatever they think propels their life towards wherever they're going. So I learned that I had to address my story and I had to come out and tell it um, so that I could move past it. Mm -hmm. And that was the only way that I could stop encountering those people and interacting with people who use their own struggle story as a way to get things from me, be it sympathy, be it love, be it support. Um, because as someone who's been through that, I could so understand and be like, oh my God, I also had a different childhood. I also had a difficult time. I know what it's like to not have somebody around. And I know I understand abandonment. I understand all those things. And they, they had a hold on me in a way um, that I didn't understand why until I started talking about my own story and realizing, oh, I'm just like them. And unless I deal with it and I, I have it, it pride now, you know, everything that we went through, um, my mother went through so much and I keep imagining, you know, my mother had four kids by the time she's my age. I couldn't, I have a dog that I, you know, that I'm sometimes surprised is still alive. Oh yeah. You know? I'm like, Sonia, you walk him. I don't want to like, it's hard. <laughs> Dogs are hard. And it's amazing to just realize that. And, you know, and of course our parents, uh, and I think we all feel that way, had their shortcomings and, um, contributed to traumas that we have today. But I'm so proud of her and I'm so proud of what we went through. Um, and in no way I use my story as a, as a way of, of, of trying to get pity or, or attention or a handout from anyone. But I, I always feel like, you know, I am proud of it and that you should know that about me. I'm no longer hiding that part of myself. And that's really empowering. So I don't know at what point I, I would feel like I've moved past it for myself, but I see it happening. You know, I don't use it as a badge of who I am. Um, I use it as a way to encourage people to understand that whatever they're going through, it's just a moment and it's going to get better and it's going to get a bit easier. And sometimes I have a problem realizing that like when I'm in the deep sadness or I'm crying or all that, I'm like, just remember, you're going to get through this. And the things that you thought were so important in your life. Now you look back and I'm so grateful that I didn't get them because I see where I am now and how that really wasn't for me, but I couldn't see it then. And I'm an aware person and I'm like, well, am I just rewiring the story to make myself feel good about it? But no, genuinely, you know, like be it a partner that I thought was perfect for me. And now I look back at their relationship with whoever they're with and I'm like, oh no, that really would have not have been for me. I'm so grateful that wasn't for me or be it where I ended up. You know, I thought, 
I always thought I wanted to study up, you know, I wanted to go into psychology and like even and, and follow that path. And it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to. And because it didn't, I'm here today and I'm telling stories and I'm inspiring people in a different way. And I'm, I'm happy with that. I love what I do. Um, in a way that I know I wouldn't have loved that, that that was something my mother told me that I needed uh, to be safe. And I'm grateful that she taught me to take care of myself and how to be safe. But also I'm so grateful I didn't really listen because I really genuinely love what I do and I could imagine me doing anything else. I think it's really important as you grow and like are taking care of yourself with this story, like if you can tell it, without being emotional and be a little detached that it was like an old version of you that you've let heal and, you know, kind of put it to rest. then that's like the healthy version of telling your story. Right. Cause I used to be on podcast mm -hmm. or something and I would say one line and just start bawling because it was mm -hmm. just so real still and so yeah. fresh that I hadn't dealt with it. So I think when you can share those stories and just say it and not get to like, attached to it or have to like after the podcast go deal with it again like you're saying off stage then then that's that's okay and that's like yeah. a place to be and we all want to be loved you know we all obviously share parts of ourselves that we think people will love or resonate with or connect because we all are human we're all looking for this connection mm -hmm. um but at the end of the day i think where, where i'm at and i think what's important for young girls especially is to learn that you can be loved just as you are you don't have to edit yourself you don't have to share only parts of yourself that you think people will love because at the end of the day you are a whole person and the right people in your life will see that and they will love you for that not instead of that and that's the things that we have to consistently remind ourselves in this quest for self-love and love with others because you know we all want that and it's very natural yeah, so Luciana, why do you choose to work on projects with such meaningful messages? Because, I mean, you can see it in your eyes and in your voice, and, like, it's just coming so deep, like, from so deep within inside you. Where does this, like, why do you have, why do you pick these projects that have deep, deep meaning and impact instead of, like, fluffy TV shows? Which pay the bills. So, I mean, how do you maneuver that, and how is that, like, Tell me, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, you know, fluffy TV shows also have their merit. You know, we're just going through a really difficult time with this coronavirus thing. And my God, thank God for fluffy TV shows. Because, right. you know, we would have been where all crying in our sleep if we didn't have something to dream of and, and laugh at. Um, so those- He went to Paris with Emily in Paris. And yeah. Sonia was in Bridgerton do, having lots of sex, I think. <laughs> you know, that kind Oh, yeah. And I, I loved- um, uh, Zoe Extraordinary Playlist. I think that's an endearing show. Uh, you know, the premise has its issues, but I think it's just cute and I love music and I love musicals. So it gives me a little bit of those, you know, it's somebody dealing with her traumas and trying to overcome it and, and listening to people's inside, you know, songs. I'm like, I wish I could be talking to someone and know how they really feel if they broke into a song and told me about it, you know? So, you know, it's just, it kind of fills my, my wish that I, that I could see beyond people's words into their true feelings. Um, so, you know, and it makes me smile, even when it makes me cry, you know, because it, it has this endearing 
quality to it. So those those projects also have merit. But I I think the what I choose to work on as a producer, as a creator, it's a little bit deeper for me because we live with those projects for so long. You know, I did a horror movie called Don't Look and it was just a fluffy slasher comedy, uh, kind of a, a love letter to the 80s to the 80s movies that I grew up with that I, you know, that really entertained me in my darkest days when I was growing up, you know, in a very difficult situation. It was an escape. Horror was an escape. It was one of those things of like, oh, see, it could always be worse. And that's why I'm always more scared of the news because I'm like, that's real life than I am on horror movies, you know? Are you kidding me? I watched your short film, The Pathosis. I was so scared. I was like, thank God I don't have a boyfriend or a... (laughs) A fiance, mom to come in. I didn't see it yet. It was yeah, is a great short. Um, it's a concept for a feature that they're developing right now, mm-hmm. um, and the work is fantastic. Austin, Austin Boning, who did the film, is just a fantastic creator, um, and I had a great time working with them. But you know, those projects, we were working on that for over a year. You know, and that's a short film. Yeah, and it's like these projects stay with you so long. And after working on my feature. I realized, uh, don't look, I realized what is, what is that I want to spend my time dedicating to? And, um, I read a book, uh, called big, big magic from the same woman who wrote eat, pray, love. And in that book, she says that ideas are like, um, you know, they come to you and they knock on your door. And if you don't develop them, they will go knock on someone else's door. And I thought it was an interesting concept. And I've had experiences in my life where I've had ideas that I didn't develop just later on to find out one of my friends did and it turned on to a beautiful project. So, you know, I consider my projects like my children, you know, they're kind of been around my realm for a while and like children, they kind of scream at you when they need something, you know, and that's when you know, that's the time to work on that. Um, Homeless, which is a short film that I uh, shot at this time last year, right before the pandemic hit, um, came from this need. I've been working with the homeless, you know, for about 10 years now, volunteering and raising funds and doing whatever I can from being on the streets, handing out food to uh, fundraisers. And we had this short film that we wrote about Javier E. Gomez and I, who's my creative partner. We've had that for five years. And for some reason, it was something that we would come back to and we would write and rewrite, but it wasn't, it didn't feel like the right time to um to get it on its feet and that i remember it was december of last of 2018 now 2019 when i read this article in the new york times about the winter coming and how a lot of homeless people died even unnoticed because it's so cold they're just laying there and people just keep walking past them that they really are kind of invisible and we don't realize that they're not even with us anymore and i thought that was so heartbreaking so dated the ending i hated it i know it was yeah. a movie and like the line where your character was like like you just simply like acknowledged him in this in the convenience store mm-hmm. the homeless man and said like have a good day i was like even that line was powerful because so many eyes are like shifted to the ground or you turn mm-hmm. around or you like you know cross the street because you don't know what's going to happen but then there's right. the unfortunate people who are just down on the had a couple bad things happen. And the sad thing about that behavior, you know, towards the homeless is that it comes from our own shame. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just us. We don't, it's not that we 
feel like they're less than humans, that we are ashamed that we can't do something. And so it's easier to look away than it is to address them in a way that we don't feel shame for our behavior. And I came, you know, into understanding with that during this, this project, this project. And, um, the, the ending of this film, um, it's incredibly sad, but we really wanted it to be real. We really wanted it to be not glamorized, you know, not a story of, oh yeah, they all overcome and they're, you know, and we also wanted it to be about the homeless. Being uh, in LA with the homeless, you see that a lot of people work as Uber drivers and they just had to move out. They lost their jobs and now they're living out of their car. Sometimes, you know, they park in the wrong place and now their car's been towed and now they're homeless. So, you know, and in LA in 2019, the homeless women like rose by 30%. And we know with homeless women comes homeless children and comes entire families. And it's, it's really alarming. So uh, fortunately in LA, we don't deal with the weather situation that we deal, um, you know, in the East Coast. But then the pandemic happened. And now, you know, when that happened, my question was, oh my God, how many people are going to die on the streets we're not even going to know about? You know, and it becomes this added layer to... But they can't even, they're supposed to be in a stay-at-home order, but there's no home. Um, and so we got a lot of backlash from people about, oh, it's too sad. We don't want to program it. It's too sad. We don't want our festival to be about that. Really? It's Which, so real. Though. And it, so powerful. And it makes girl, you think. It makes, it you, makes think. you think. Like, sorry that you cried. Sorry you feel like a jerk for not giving someone a dollar. Like, you know, like what's going on? Well, that's what and, it's like a huge lesson in empathy too. Like that's what we teach our girls yeah. every single time we have a summit is like empathy. Yeah. And you know, it's, I get emotional thinking about it because so many doors closed on that short film just because it was sad. Wow. And, um, you know, we obviously the festival circuit is a way a very selected few get to see the work um and we were sending it to our to our connections and our relationships um while partnering up with a nonprofit organization because it was important to me that this be seen by the people who had lived it and who experienced it who understand it because that's the criticism that matters to me it's not the people sitting in their cushy homes with their fireplaces thinking, oh, that short film is too sad. We shouldn't program well, what it. Did the homeless youth or the community that did view it and had lived that life, what was their feedback? So we partner up with an organization called Invisible People. Wow. They do fantastic work for the homeless. Uh, they have an incredible reputation. And I came across them when I was researching uh, for the film because we, for a while, considered naming it Invisible People because that's the idea of... Um, you know, the, the, the most, the most fragile part of society, the one that we turn our backs on literally on the streets. Um, and we found them, um, and we started chatting with them and they put it on their TV channel on YouTube called Invisible People TV. And it's a mix of advocates like me, um, and people who have been homeless that has been helped by the organization every year i donate my birthday to an organization uh 2020 was aclu because we were in a political state of like we need change and we need women uh rights to be defended um and this year it was invisible people and we raised over three thousand dollars for them at this point um you know it just feels so small uh but it's something and the film now has had over a hundred thousand views um and almost a thousand comments and they go from finally I understand the meaning of what invisible people mean to I've been homeless and it's really just like that in a drop of a dime everything can change uh to 
thank you for making this film. Nothing like this before has really shown people what it was like to be homeless. You know, so those are the kind of comments that we get. Um, but again, it was important to us to portray people that are not, you know, mentally ill, that are not on drugs. Um, and it, it's, a, you know, and people of color, because even though we might be a smaller section of the homeless population, there's still a lot of Latinos who are homeless, a lot of, uh, you know, African-Americans and, and, and Asians. And it's not just, um, you know, the Caucasian people, which, even though they are, my, you know, majority at this point on the streets. But that was also important to us that we chose a Latino neighborhood mm-hmm. um, that talked about that experience as well. But you could might, might as well just replace the, ma- the main character it would have applied to anyone in any ethnicity group. And, and that's the, the story was meant to be universal. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been so rewarding. So, you know, that project kind of screamed at me last year. We, we pulled together. Our friends were really gracious and helped us out shooting that film. And then the pandemic happened. And then I had more gracious friends who now found themselves in lockdown with nothing to do. They were like, oh, I'll color your film. Oh, I'll, I'll do the sound mix for free. Don't worry. And we were able to pull. It was really a community project. And I'm so grateful and proud of those people uh, who jumped on board and didn't even question it. Uh, to help with finish. Um, and now I'm working on a documentary, which is about women's liberation, women's rights, uh, sexuality in America, and the correlation between sexuality and destruction in terms of politics and personal life. Um, and, and it's interesting because the majority of people we're interviewing at this point happen to be white males. Mm. Because at the time we started in 1960s, the time that who was in charge of the arts in the 60s were white males and I would like to say that it is different today um it just doesn't seem like that's true yet um but we're really trying to diversify who is in control of the storytelling um so that's the public I have a question like losing control kind of made me think like with everything going on in the world especially like I feel like 2016 was a huge shake-up right especially for women and just everyone, everyone got yeah. a minute to be like, wait, what do I care about? And what am I going to move mm-hmm. forward being an activist for? You obviously are connected to so many missions, which is so beautiful. But I want to know, like, do you feel like the needle is moving or are we like in an echo chamber of bullshit, just like yelling, listen to me, listen to me. Or like, do you feel like we're more divided or your mission like versus my mission? Like, I feel like it's, I love that everyone's so passionate, but I want to know, like, if you feel like we're actually moving in a forward direction together. You know, it's so interesting because from my life experience of what I've lived, it feels like we are moving towards a more diverse time. At least we're trying. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, in this documentary, I'm interviewing 80 to 98 year olds and hearing them talk and say, we've been talking about this since the 60s and not much has changed. So, you know, it puts it into perspective that maybe we should be listening to our elders and maybe we should be recording those stories so that we don't continue to repeat on this pattern that seems non-ending. So for us, you know, look at us, we have a podcast and we have access and we have, we have an audience. And um, when I grew up in Brazil in the, in the 80s where, you know, women 
didn't have a voice and we still were considered, um, you know, I remember when my father died when I was nine, my mother couldn't go to the bank and take their half of the bank account because somewhat women were still less than, you know. I have a friend who just moved to a Latin-based island and she's like, I couldn't sign for my kids to pick them off school. My husband, who is a white male, had to do it. And this was just two weeks ago. And she came out of the school like shaking. She's like, they told me I couldn't sign, that he had to sign because he was the dad. And, you know, she's an Asian woman and they're living in a Caribbean island now. So it was interesting to me, which is still Latino. So it's like, we were both so upset. Children. Those Those are my children. I know. And it's upsetting. So, you know, in my lifetime, it feels like we were moving forward. But this is why I think learning from the past and listening to our elders, which is not part of the American culture, is so important because listening to them and learning from them for the last two years of this project, we're going, we're going in a loop. We are going in a circle. We are. We're not moving forward. The, the, The forward motion we're making is very small comparing to how much fighting we're putting into the streets. Right. Look at the me too movement. Look at time's up now. Look at black lives matter. Like black lives matter. Breonna Taylor's assassins are still on streets. I know. How many more, you know, do I need to be out in the snow, like fighting again, parading, putting our lives at risk in a, in a national global pandemic and still nothing is being done? What? Thing, like you just mentioned your friend moved to Caribbean Island. It, we live in big cities. And if like during the pandemic, we've done a lot of driving and like road tripping and going to red states and things like that. You don't have to go to a Caribbean Island and not feel worthy or yeah. not be valued as a woman. And there are I, some states who don't even give maternity leave yeah, in the I, United States. Mm-hmm. Maternity leave. So we are still very backwards. Yeah. And that's why I think when you are in a big city like New York and LA, you feel like there's so much movement happening because you are and your community is trying to move the needle. But then you go places where it's not as progressive and it's almost alarming. And how do you speak to those people? How do you connect with them so they don't close their ears and close yeah. their eyes and say, no, no, no that's too new, that's too much. How do we come together? Like, I really want to know, like, what kind of, like, documentary could really get, you know, a good old boy out in Idaho to listen and actually maybe open his heart and open his ears. And I don't think they're terrible people, but I'm just saying, like, they need to value everyone on this planet. But that's even a choice, right? Like, we choose what we watch. We choose what interests us. Um, in our lives. So you and I, you know, we, we grew up in big cities. So we come from this mindset of that there, there's a different perspective. You know, what I know is just what I know is not everything that is to be known. But when you come from a place where that's not what you're taught, when you're taught that this is your reality, um, then it's a different, it's a different story. How, how do you break through to, to them? How do you expose them to something that is not like them, but not against them. Right. And that's and that's where it gets tricky. And honestly, my answer to that is that we really can't. And yeah. it's a sad reality because, you know, I, it's, it's, it's just like relationships. You can only hear what you're ready to hear. And you can only sh- share what you're ready to share. And it doesn't matter how much someone is there saying, but there's a big world out there. Look, look at pictures, look at videos. Like there is a love that everybody's love. Love is, you know, love is, love is, love is love. Like, you know, like 
there's trans people and there's people of color and you know it, it's to them it, it, will, it really will fall on, on deaf ears unfortunately because it comes it needs to come from a personal experience so um, stay motivated though like because that like that is like a, a good aha moment but at the same time it's like well then fuck them you know and like I'll keep my circle small and I'll just be happy and only hang out with people that think exactly like me and then when you what? do that, you become narrow-minded at the same time, mm-hmm. right? And so- bitter. And bitter. I mean, that, that's an approach, for sure. I think people do that. But I think my approach is, is hope. Yeah. You know, is hope that if I live what I believe, if I stand for in my actions what I say, if I lead as much as I can by example, I'm sure we all human, we all fall, we all are not 100%. Um, always, you know, a pillar of, of, uh, of, of clarity, but you know, if I can do that and then be in touch with 10 people and maybe out of those 10 people, five of them resonate a little bit and look inwards and say, well, wait a minute, if that could be true, what does this mean? And then they go on to meet 10 more people. And then of those 10, maybe three then go on to three more. And then it becomes like that domino effect. Right. So, yeah. I think you are a beacon of light and I think you are a pillar of hope. And I wanted to share with everyone just like how simple, like coming on for 30 minutes to our Girl Powerful Summit, like a month ago, we had over 50 girls, tween and teen girls attend. And you, you know, you just showed up. You were so calm. You're like, girls, we're going to write about our feelings. You know, no gimmicks, no, no nothing special. And it was the most impactful thing. So I'm going to read two of the stanzas. Okay. To share how much hope you brought the girls. It says, I am a free spirit. The heavy rusted chains weigh me down. Chains that have been built by my mind's boundaries. I suppose I am yet to be free. I wonder how a bird soars when doubts fill its mind. Doubts that shout seemingly for an eternity. I hear these doubts as the echo in my mind, like the sound of chains hitting the cold, dirty floor. I see everything, but have the power to do nothing. For the burdens hold me back. These restraints are doing their job. I want to be set free, be carefree, to be freed by these shackles, be freed by my boundaries. I am stuck, however, stuck in a cell built for me, built by my hands, knowing that there would be no way to escape. I understand that these... Confines can't hold me back forever. I say that, that to myself, one day I'll make it free. I dream about that day. I try to reach that day, grasp it, but somehow it fades away. I hope, no, I know it will become a reality. And on that day, I will be able to proudly say, I am Marley. And this was just so beautiful because you asked the girls in quarantine who are so confined in their rooms, not being able to interact with their friends, how are you feeling? And I remember the chat just blowing up. And, you know, they're like, I miss, or what do you miss? They're like, I miss my friends. I miss hugs. I miss my grandparents. But then also, like, Black Lives Matter happened, and Marley is a person of color. So this isn't just about the pandemic and being confined and wanting to be set free. But it's also about being treated equally. And so I just, I don't know. I just, I look up to you because (laughs) that exercise was so beautiful and like we had no idea how much it would touch the girls and so that's why it's like 
you can't like try to change everybody in the world. You can just impact the people in front of you, you know, and well, be and, that beacon of light. And the girls like our youth. Like I right. feel like if you can connect as a mentor to youth, it's almost a prevention, right? They're going to grow up not knowing any better than to always write something and be creative and speak your mind and ask for equal pay and all these things. And that's why we're all working so hard together to find an equal playing field for all of us together. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm so, I, I, I think of that poem a lot. And um, I remember when she said the sound of the chains on the floor, I heard that. Um, and that's, that's what I think it's the way to touch each other in our meaning is our humanity. Because what she is describing there, I feel, mm. and we're different races, we're different ages, but we're just both human. So I think when we take out the gimmicks, right? When we take out, I wanna be loved, I wanna be this person people admire, I wanna try whatever, and just take, strip all of that and just speak about the I am, right? The I am poem, the I am phrase in our personal lives too, um, are, is very, very powerful. You know, as a teacher, I remember teaching that to my kids, you know, it's not about, you made me feel this way is I feel this way because, and when you start to look inward, it's very powerful because we all in a way share that, that same feelings, you know, we all do. Mm -hmm. And I think about, I love that you read that and I'm glad you did because I remember, I remember very clearly a lot of the poems they shared and this one. And I remember the sound of the chains on the floor because to me is exactly how I feel. At, at times, you know, that you are trying so hard to, to open doors and to make a change and to help people see things that maybe they haven't seen. But how many times do you feel that you're still in that cage, that you're still stuck? Yeah. Um, and it's a progress. And I honestly think that's how I, in my life, that's how I learned to make a change was when I decided that I no longer cared whether or not people liked me or, you know, or wanting their affection as the youngest of four people, you know, people of four children, now adults, I was a people pleaser. Yeah. You know, I was the one who was always like, oh, if I'm cool, like my sister, she's going to like me. Or, oh, if I know the music, my brother's like, they're going to like me. Oh, if, you know, I have the best grades, my mom is going to love me more because she'll be so happy. So, you know, I was always the problem solver. I was always trying to make everybody else happy. Uh, and I know a lot of us have felt into that and, you know, not just girls, you know, a lot of us children have fulfilled those needs of our families and you, we carry that into our, into our lives. And it was a lot of uh, self-awareness work to stop and say, okay, I'm no longer, I don't, that's not what makes me happy. You know, what is, what does make me happy is, is doing the things that I, I care about, you know, is, is having that 30 minutes with these girls and walking away as inspired by them as I'm happy to know that they were inspired. Like that was a 30 minute of an exchange that I will not forget. Mm -hmm. And it's about walking in life like that and thinking, if you don't like me, that's okay. Like I'm not for everyone. I'm aware of that. And, and I think that's a beautiful thing to, to realize, you know, we're not friends with everyone. Right. Um, I got a quote the other day that said, why are you so, why are you trying so hard to impress everyone? You don't even like most of everything. <laughs> I feel that you know? really hard. And I like, I think everything is like so heavy and like 
but with intention right now. Like I feel like if you're in tune with yourself, you're in tune with what's going on in the world. But it, it's heavy and it's hard. And like mental health is having, you know, a huge forefront like on social media. But I hope everyone actually is taking tools that they're seeing and reading and, and actually feeling into them. But like during this time, I'm always telling people, I hope you're enjoying your life. I hope you're having fun. I hope you like are dancing in your kitchen and all these things that, you know, make life beautiful because there's so much stuff that needs to change, but there's a lot that you can control in your own home and your body and in your physical home. And wait, one question before okay. we pull a girl powerful card. Everything you embody and you work on and every, everything about you is about knowing your worth. What if someone is on the beginning of their self-love journey or they are a youth? What are a couple tips to hone in on that? Like, how do you build your inner power and actually figure out what your worth is and what you deserve? Do you have any tips or something you could leave us with? Um, the important thing to remember is what you said, is that self-love um, is a journey. You know, there will be ups and there will be downs and there will be moments that you feel so confident and, and you feel like, I got this, I got my mojo, like I'm myself and you feel yourself and you feel great. Um, and there will be moments where you won't. And those will be really hard moments, you know, and you'll question your self-worth and you'll question um, whether or not the highs really, really did happen. Um, and you will come into contact with people that will make you feel less than but i think that the thing to remember here is that nobody can make you feel things you don't allow them to mm -hmm. so if you are in the presence of someone that um is making you feel bad for some reason walk away and the biggest flex in the self-love journey is to listen to your gut your gut will a hundred percent always be right and i say that as someone who somebody doesn't listen to my gut and later down, I, I suffer a lot of heartbreak because I'm giving someone a benefit of the doubt, or maybe they will change, or maybe if I try harder, if I can love them more, if I can show them what love is like. And it's, it's tough being a good person and caring about people and knowing when to do what's best for you and walking away, because the truth is you really can't save anyone. Right. Um, all that that's going to do is open up doors for a lot of self-hurt and heartbreak. So listen to your gut. And when a space feels good to you and positive and you feel like you're in your game and the people around you make you feel the best version of yourself, stay. And when, when you feel like mm, something about this doesn't quite fit, something about this is off, and I don't really feel great when I walk away from this place or this situation or this person, don't walk back. Just walk away. Because guess what? 99.9% .9 of the time does not get better. They do not change. And whatever the exchange is at that place or time or space of people, a group of people, they're trying to, to fulfill something they need. And not necessarily it, they are aware of it. So it's up to you to really protect yourself. And I don't mean, I hate this, this expression, you got to protect your magic. You got to protect yourself. Don't protect yourself. Live. Go out. You're strong. You are powerful. You're in charge of your emotions. You can take care of yourself. You can self-soothe. You can overcome. Because guess what? We all have. We are all alive. We right. all have consistently done this. You know, we all remain consistently doing this. So you can do it. You don't need to put walls. You don't need, and I know from experience, trust me, I put up a lot of walls 
And at the end of the day, it just kept the good, the good outside and it kept me on the inside and the bad stuff still found a way to jump because the bad stuff is really limb, like limbo and like, and, 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 and strong. And, you know, you, you can, you cannot keep the, the, the only way to keep the bad and the hurt and the heartbreak away is to honor yourself. So you don't need a, a wall. You don't need a protection. You don't need to protect your magic because guess what? You do that every day when you say, nah, this really is not for me. And you can be kind about it. I'm all about communication. Right. Like we spoke in the beginning of this talk, avoidance only means things, things will come back. If you ghost someone, guess what? You're going to run into that same person again and you're going to run into the same situation again. And I'm not going to do that. So I think the most loving thing you can do for anybody in your life is if they care and they want to be in your life, but you don't think that they bring out the best in you, you can just say, listen, I think you're great. I just don't think that this is the right time for us to be interacting or I need some space or this is not for me, but thank you. And walk away, you know, in a loving way. Cause down the line, people do change and people do grow. And maybe down the line, you're going to encounter those people again and you'll both be in different places and you'll both bring the best out of each other or that's a situation. That line, that's that line, like a reason, a season, or a lifetime. Everyone doesn't stay right. for the lifetime. And like understanding right. that and just being like, oh, I learned this little bit of information. I'm going to keep moving. Thank you. I was my best self. I communicated. Yeah. And I'm, I'm moving on. <laughs> well, I think- but I'll say this. Some people surprisingly do stick around for a long time or a lifetime. And you keep questioning yourself, how are you still in my life after all these years? So what I do is for me, it's not about the other people. It's really about how do I want to be remembered? How do I want to leave any relationship in any situation? And sometimes I react to people's behavior and I'm not proud of it, but I always try to come back and have a conversation and really leave them with who I am you know, the most loving version of myself so that at the end of the day, they can look back at that or we can run into each other in the future or not, but they can think of, okay, that person had some kind of integrity and I know who they are, who Luciana is. And I know who she was trying to be for me or to me. And that's all, that's all you can hope for, you know, is just try your best. Right. And it's so important to start a self-love journey and to be self-aware because how you talk to yourself matters the most right instead of negative self-talk use positive self-talk and teddy actually we actually developed the girl powerful card deck and it's all based on so can we pull a card before we wrap up so every card has an affirmation and then a prompt this says i am worthy write a quote that inspires you and put it somewhere that you always see that's a good Every- I do that every day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you put things every day? Yeah. I write, I write it in my notebook. I have a journal. I keep a journal I've, that I've had since I was nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I have piles of them. Um, sometimes I share on Instagram when I'm feeling it today. Mine was, you know, the calls I used to wait for, I no, no longer even pick up anymore. And that's the feeling of I've grown past this to a level of, um, grat- gratitude. I'm grateful for that, but also being able to look back and be like, I'm glad, I'm glad it didn't turn out the way I thought it would. Yeah. yeah. I have one for you. The affirmation, okay. the affirmation says I have unlimited potential. And especially in the pandemic right now, when you don't 
you can't be like, oh, in five years, I'm going to do this and that and that because you don't really know what's going to happen. So we're focusing on short-term goals because that's something you can control. So what's one short-term goal you want to accomplish and what are we going to see from Luciana in the future? Well, my short-term goal, which is like super attainable, like I want to do 30 days of meditation in a row. I'm on day 28. Yay! Um, I feel great. Um, some days I'm so tired because we're shooting right now and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't have 12 minutes for this. And I have to tell myself, no, you made it 27. You got to do it again. One more day. Um, so just keeping that in mind of like, you know, it's really is one day at a time. Mm -hmm. So whatever goal you have, just keep that in mind. So I'm on day 28 and I don't imagine stopping at 30 because I feel no. like a whole different person than I was at day one. Um, so yeah, I'm loving that. And then what's coming next for me? Um, I'm working on a few different documentaries right now. I never thought I would, I actually explicitly said I would never make a documentary and now I'm making multiples. So you never know what's coming towards your life. Um, I'm currently on a show on Amazon prime called the influencers. It's hilarious. So um, it's a higher on the influencer generation gen z really loves it i think it really resonates with us you know millennials gen z this idea of what an influencer means uh and the ridiculousness of of this society pre-coronavirus i'm curious to see what happens after coronavirus uh so catch that homeless is playing on youtube on invisible people tv um our fundraiser is still live so if you can donate you know even five dollars makes a big difference do read through the comments they're the most powerful thing about this experience of seeing how people who know what homelessness is are reacting to the project uh we're going to be developing with them more scripted pro programs from now on uh, the, the reaction was really great uh into having this separation between reality and you know scripted reality uh and really enlightening people um and i really hope that i can like every day touch one person you know i read something that was like make whenever you interact with people compliment them on something you know, so I find myself buying my coffee and being like, oh my God, all you can see is the eyes. Oh my God, your eyes are so beautiful. And you can see the whole face lights up, even though it's just the eyes, you know, or, you know, thank you for this coffee. Oh my God, I really needed this today. And, you know, it just gives them purpose into, we're, you know, out there in this crazy pandemic, just serving you your coffee. My God, thank you. Right. I, live like, I, see you. I acknowledge you. Thank you. Exactly. So I hope, I hope, again, I'm not perfect. I have my moments. Sometimes things really trigger me in a way that I react in a way that I'm not super proud. But again, you can try again. Mm -hmm. And that just keep reminding yourself of that. We can all make mistakes. We can all just remember who you are, who you want to be, and do the steps that you can that are attainable, that are in your power uh, to be that person. And then walk away. Because at the end of the day, People will be who they will be and they can accept your apology or not. And there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. But as long as you walk away. Communicate. And if people yeah, as long as you walk away feeling. Walk away. I was true to myself. Right. That's all, that's all you can do. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your inspiration and your empowerment. Thank you, ladies. Yes. If anyone wants to watch, find Luciana. Um, her short film, you have the link in bio on your Instagram account. So will you share where we could find it? It's yes, my, my Instagram is Luciana Fauhaber Official mm -hmm. altogether. I know it's super long, <laughs> but um, if you just type my first name, Luciana, it usually comes up. 
And then you have a link tree. You can find the link to uh, Homeless Short Film, the influencers, the fundraiser. Everything is right there for you. Easy and accessible. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. But thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. We love this. Thank you both. Yeah. I, I know you guys are such an you guys are such an inspiration to me. I love using this word because there's such much dilemma on it's you ladies, it's you guys. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so yeah. yeah we say it all the time. That's how we grew up. Yeah. Hey guys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's about <laughs> what it means to you, you know, and like you yeah. ladies have been such an inspiration to me. Um, putting this work out there, never stopping, inspiring young women. And I keep saying that we need this kind of emotional education in school. Mm -hmm. We need to be taught this. We need to learn what it means to be self-aware, to, to understand self-love, to know what self-care is. It's not just a bubble bath, you right. know? And that's important. And you ladies are out there doing that educational work and I appreciate you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for honoring this. Always. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. I love you too. Have a great day, ladies. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks to our guest. For more information on her, see the show notes. Please hit subscribe if you have not already. That way, a new episode is delivered directly to your feed every week.